This is an AMI podcast. Good morning. It's Wednesday, August the 17th, 2022. Welcome to Now with Dave Brown, coming to you on AMI-audio and AMI-tv. I'm Dave Brown. Let's hit the horns and go! Coming up on the show today, the Canadian Deafblind Camp is returning later this month just outside Winnipeg. Caroline Taves and Erica Duguay will give you all of the details. In his final community report, Guy Carrier in Sudbury will tell you all about the CNIB's upcoming Connecting the Dots Conf e-transfer feature in Canada. Mike Agarbo will transfer that story over to you. Lifestyle columnist Shani Saravanamuthu will share tips on how to maximize an evening out on the town. And community reporter Becky Zarn, Regina Saskatchewan, discusses her next chapter as she's about to embark on her new opportunity in the world of podcasting. We're saying a lot of goodbyes this week. It's really bumming me out. But let's begin the show with our top story of the day. It's a follow-up on something we brought to you yesterday. An RCMP superintendent who accused Commissioner Brenda Lucky of political interference in the Nova Scotia mass shooting says he stands by his recollection of an April 2020 meeting. Darren Campbell says Lucky told him she was disappointed that he had not publicly released information about the firearms used to kill 22 people. The Commissioner also said that she had promised the Minister and the Prime Minister's office that information about the firearms would be included in the press briefing. As detailed in my notes, I attempted to explain to the Commissioner that I could not and would not release that information at that time as a premature release could have a negative impact on the investigation. Campbell elaborated further on the meeting with Lucky. It was at that time the Commissioner told my colleagues and I that we didn't understand that this was tied to pending legislation that would make officers and the public safer. I felt that meeting, I left that meeting feeling deflated and to borrow the commissioner's words, sad and disappointed. Conservative public, public safety critic Raquel Dancho feels that this was a breach in the separation of powers. She seemed to have a tone of eagerness to please the government rather than act as a check on power. And certainly the government of Canada and all our institutions are built on checks and balances. And the separation of powers between the RCMP commissioner and the government of Canada is critical and imperative to maintaining uh, our democratic process. Current public safety minister Marco Mendicino says his government respects the principle of operational independence. Both Lucky and former public safety minister Bill Blair have denied the allegations. Let's shift over to Quebec, where they are launching a massive vaccination booster campaign. Premier Francois Legault laid out the eligibility requirements. It's quite simple to know when you have to go. If you had your last vaccine five months or more ago, you have to get a new one if you want to be uh, protected. The province has started offering fifth doses of vaccine to residents of long-term care homes and private seniors' residences. The province of Quebec currently has the most people hospitalized with COVID in the country. That's 1,964 people. Nationally, there are 4,829 people in hospital with COVID-19, a slight decrease from yesterday. 
Let's head out to the territories where child care providers in the Northwest Territories say they are hopeful more support is coming as the National Child Care Program rolls out. The territory signed on to the $10 a day federal child care agreement in December as a first step. It introduced a fee reduction subsidy for parents in April. But some providers are dealing with staff shortages and there are a lack of available spaces. Patricia Davidson is the chair of the NWT, Northwest Territory Early Childhood Association. Programs are having longer and longer wait lists, but no staff. I mean, we can't even think about extending spaces because we're barely able to staff the spaces we have. So it's, it's causing a huge dilemma. Davidson says she's optimistic support for childcare staff is coming, but she says if that does not happen soon, more early learning childcare programs could close. Looking south of the border to a climate story, a state of emergency has been declared in parts of West Virginia's swamped by surging floodwaters caused by heavy rainfall. Flooding in two southern counties damaged homes, bridges and roads and led to dozens of high water rescues. Mayor Ann Cavalier in the town of Smithers says her community was hit hard. A lot of homes up Candleton Hollow have water, at least in the first floor and their basements. Uh, I saw cars coming down Smithers Creek. They're somewhere out in the Kanawha River now. The U.S. National Weather Service reports up to 130 millimeters of rain fell in some areas. And on the flip side, People in Arizona and Nevada will not face bans on watering their lawns or washing their cars despite water shortages on the Colorado River. Reporter Matt Gutman has the details. The federal government says the Colorado River, which serves nearly 40 million Americans across seven states and Mexico, is at a tipping point. The drought so extreme, the federal government saying states like Arizona and Nevada will need to drastically cut back on water use. Failure to ease water use risks not only the loss of the river, but energy production, and according to a senior administration official, uncertainty and conflict. The new cuts will build on this year's reductions, which all but eliminated some central Arizona farmers' Colorado River water supply. And that story is going to lead to our daily poll in just a moment. But before we get to the new poll, let's clean up yesterday's poll and share the results. At AMI-audio on Twitter, Accessible Media Inc. on Facebook, we asked you, inflation has gone down month over month. How did your monthly expenses change last month? 75% of you said they went up, 25% of you said they stayed the same, and 0% of you said they went down. Today's daily poll, as we're talking about some of the drought conditions in the American Southwest, I'm asking you, how mindful are you about consuming water usage in your day-to-day life or conserving water usage in your day-to-day life? Very, somewhat, or not at all? I would love to tell you that I am very mindful of it, but I think, unfortunately, I fall somewhere into the somewhat category. I try to have energy and water-efficient appliances. I try to make sure not to be doing teensy-tiny loads of laundry or dishes. I try to make sure I'm not running the tap while I'm shaving. I try to make sure I'm not running the tap while I'm brushing my teeth, but I'm sure I still have these blind spots where I don't quite take care of it as much as I could, but I do try to be mindful, but I don't know if I can be all the way to praise myself with a very. Grace, you found yourself in a bit of a water situation last Friday when your building didn't have water. How how mindful are you when it comes to water conservation? I should be more mindful um, considering I'm a student who pays their own hydro bill, but I'm not. I don't. It's like, I guess somewhat... All of my things are water efficient, like you mentioned, energy efficient. Anything I buy, I try and make sure that it's like as environmentally friendly as it can be. But I 
will say I'm a little bit forgetful when it comes to like leaving the tap so it gets cold to fill up my water glass when I could just yeah. get a Brita. Yeah. Like there's yeah. stuff like that that I know or I could improve cubes. upon. Exactly. But like I I don't. So I'm going to go with probably not at all. <laughs> Yeah, I, uh, there's this stand-up comedian who has this bit, and his name is escaping me at this moment, but he has this he has this bit where he talks about, uh, we're going to be speaking to people in the future in 75 years when we are out of water, when we're out of fresh water, and we're going to tell them, well, we had to run the tap for like 10 seconds to make sure the water was appropriately cold before we filled up our glass. And then even before we filled up our glass, we had to do one quick dump. You know, one quick like fill it, fill and pour. You've got to rinse out the cup. You've got to rinse out Even the cup. Even though I've been the one to wash the cup, right. I know the cup is clean. Right. I've got to rinse out the cup. Yeah. So yeah. so yeah, there, there's going to be some harsh conversations we're going to be yes. having with future generations about uh, some little odd behaviors and habits that we had for sure. Grace, thank you for this. Let's of bring course. in Mike Ross on this one. Mike, how mindful are you about water conservation in your day to day life? All you have to do, Dave, is take a barefooted walk across my very dry front lawn. There we go. And you will see. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm just, we're very mindful of it. We're very careful about it. And, um, you know, the, there's a couple of reasons why my lawn is that way. Number one, I live across from a forested conservation area, which gets pollinated uh, or which pollinates my lawn full of weeds every year. So there's nothing I can do about it. So I, I'm just... I'm not going to feed that. Plus, I I just feel like it's just such a, a waste of such a precious resource that I, I just can't get on board with it. I, I just, I, I, I see, you know, farms doing it. Good. Do it. We need food. You don't need anything off my front lawn. So I'm, I'm just letting it go. And when it rains, it rains. And hopefully it pours and hopefully, you know, whatever little bit of grass that finds its way up through the weeds, gets some nutrients, gets some, uh, some nourishment from that rain. But I, uh, I'm not doing that. And I, I keep showers short. We're, we're not a bathing family. I think the biggest luxury we have is our hot tub where, you know, I use, I use a lot of water to fill that, but I try and sort of replace that water uh, as infrequently as I can. So I do a lot of work with, uh, the, the chemical balancing mm -hmm. with cleaning. I, I reuse the filter. I clean, I wash my filter. I don't go out and buy a whole new filter system for it. So there's all kinds of things that, that I think everybody needs to do. Just a lot of people choose not to right? like that, that fresh green lawn in front of their house. Mm -hmm. A lot of people, mm -hmm. it means something to them. It's important to them. It's just not important to me. Well, Mike, that's a great perspective as I'm not someone who has a lawn. So there is uh, no watering <laughs> for me. Mike, thank I you. I would rather not have a lawn, believe me. Nothing to cut and then no, no brown spots, <laughs> no big brown spot in front of my house. I'd rather have nice drought-resistant plants and, yeah. and rocks and something pretty, but yeah. It is what it is. Give me some, give me some field turf. Give me, give me the yeah. total opposite. No, there you go. Yeah. Mike, thank you for this. We'll talk to you a little bit later in the hour for the big business story of the day. In the meantime, at AMI Audio is where you find us on Twitter. Accessible Media Inc. is where you find us on Facebook. That's where you can vote on the poll and also find out about other excellent programming that we have to offer here at AMI. Speaking of excellent, let's go back to Grace Scofield for the National Weather Updates. Thanks, Dave. It's a pretty rainy day across the country today, but here's your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. We start off in St. John's, Newfoundland, where there's a few periods of showers or drizzle ending this afternoon, then cloudy with a 60% chance of showers or drizzle in the later afternoon and a high of 17 degrees. In Halifax, Nova Scotia, 
periods of rain today, with a risk of a thunder shower late this morning and this afternoon, with a high of 21 degrees. Over in Montreal, a mix of sun and cloud, becoming cloudy this afternoon, with a high of 26 degrees. In Ottawa today, a mix of sun and cloud, with a high of 26 degrees. In Toronto, a mix of sun and cloud with 30% chance of showers this afternoon and a risk of a thunderstorm with a high of 27 degrees. Today in Thunder Bay, some showers with a risk of a thunderstorm and a high of 24 degrees. Over in Winnipeg, Manitoba, it's sunny today with some increasing cloudiness this afternoon, then 30% chance of showers late this afternoon and a risk of a thunderstorm with a high of 28 degrees. In Saskatoon, a mix of sun and cloud with 30% chance of showers and a risk of a thunderstorm and a high of 30 degrees. Some nice weather in Calgary. It's sunny today with a high of 29 degrees. In Edmonton, it's sunny today with a high of 28 degrees. Up in Yellowknife, it's mainly cloudy with a 30% chance of showers early this morning and a risk of a thunderstorm, but that will clear up later this morning with a high of 26 degrees. In Vancouver, BC, it's sunny today with a high of 27 degrees. And some matching weather in Victoria, BC, where it is sunny with a high of 27 degrees. And that is your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you so much, Grace. Coming up after the break, the Canadian Deafblind Camp is returning later this month just outside Winnipeg. Caroline Taves and Erica Duguay will give you all of those details. This is now with Dave Brown on AMI. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. We've been talking about all the things that have come back during the spring and summer and the good times keep on rolling for deafblind Canadians as the deaf Canadian deafblind camp is returning on August 27th at Camp Manitou, just outside of Winnipeg. Here to tell you more are Caroline Taves and Erica Duguay. Caroline is a board member at the Resource Centre for Manitobans who are deafblind and Erica is a co-coordinator at the Resource Centre for Manitobans who are deafblind. Good morning to both of you guys and Erica, we'll start with you. How excited are you and folks that you're chatting to about the 27th? Hello. Yes, we're incredibly excited. Uh, There was a two-year hiatus due to COVID, so being able to get together again makes this a very special year for everybody. And so we're all really excited to be able to, you know, just uh, communicate and hang out and socialize and do fun things together again. So it brings a little bit of normalcy back. Erica, put me on the grounds of the camp. What's it like? What's on offer for folks who will be there? So this year, uh, as previous years, uh, DeafBlind Camp, uh, we call it CDBC, Canadian DeafBlind Camp, uh, is held at Camp Manitou, uh, which is right along the Assiniboine River. So we have a beautiful view. And we have so much fun activities being offered, like rock climbing, uh, there's zip lining, archery, uh, they actually just made some really big renovations throughout the lodge and the camp area. So they have a new man-made lake that has kayaking and canoeing. And they had a donation of an accessible 
system for a docking system. So now we don't have to fall in the water when we go and get into the canoes and the kayaks. They have a wonderful system that makes it very easy for everybody to access. That's really nice. I like that one a lot. Hey, let's uh, go over to Caroline on this one. And Caroline, I apologize for bringing this down a peg, but what have the last couple of years been like for people in the deafblind community? It has been, I think, pretty isolating. Um, If you have no hearing and no vision at all, the social distancing is uh, really a problem. It means for a lot of people, no physical contact and being cut off from friends and family. Um, And just makes it harder to get basic needs met. And then for even those of us that do have some hearing and or vision, um, the barrier, you know, it's, it's a loss of independence because you can't just, you can't follow the arrows and you can't do all those things that, you know, are needed to be done to be able to go out on your own. Along those lines, Caroline, what are some of the lessons that have been learned from the last two years about the resources that are needed to better serve the deafblind community? Oh, there's lots of things, but a lot of little things that kind of add up. So um, I mentioned the loss of independence, um, especially like when entering your PIN numbers on point-of-sale machines because they put those plastic barriers over the top and you couldn't feel the keypad. Um, It's difficult to hear people behind the plexiglass. Or if you are uh, a lip reader, you can't read through masks. Erica, I want to come back to you because we we heard Caroline mention some of the isolation that folks have been feeling. How much will this return serve as a sense of relief when it comes to some of that isolation that people have been feeling? Uh, well, the sense we've been getting is that people are very excited to meet in person again. Um, Deathbrine folks from across Canada gather here. It's kind of a central location, which is wonderful. And, you know, they're able to connect with friends, old and new. Uh, it's been a very long two years, it's, you know, a crazy world that we're living in and experiencing. And so, you know, there's been a lot of meeting virtually, but it's just, it's not the same with deafblind community. Contact and touch is really such an important factor of communicating and feeling that um, closeness. Um, and so really, it's just, it's a huge relief to be able to get, again, that, that little bit of normalcy back, just to kind of get back to being able to have fun again and, and enjoy the good things in life. Caroline, we heard Erica talking about some of the things that are on offer at camp. What's your favorite activity at the camp? Uh, I would have to say either the zip lining or I'm really into crafts. So I love all the different crafts and those are run by deaf blind. Um, a lot of these events are run by deaf blind participants like the crafting and um, other, other activities that are sponsored by campers. Erica, I know that uh, when camp is going on, you're probably busy doing a lot of logistics, but I bet there's still time for some fun. So how about you? What's your favorite activity at the camp? Oh, there's so many to choose from. Um, For the activities that we've previously experienced, I was really a fan of the archery. Uh, I'm really excited for the new activities that they have with that new man-made lake. But I have to agree with Caroline that some of the best activities at camp, and also my personal favorite, are the runs that are run by the deafblind community. So we do have, uh, you know, a beautiful craft program by Isla Snare, a team building uh, activities by MJ Stewart, and we even get to make Bannock this year with our very own Caroline Tate. 
So it's hard to pick just one, but I think out of all of those, those are my favorites. And Caroline, coming back to you here, I think we may have tempted a few folks as they learned more about this camp coming up in a couple of days, but where should people go to learn more about the Canadian Deafblind Camp and the Resource Centre for Manitobans who are deafblind? Okay, well, the Resource Centre for Manitobans who are deaf and blind exists to promote opportunities for independence, dignity, and um, empowerment for adults in Manitoba. Uh, who have become deaf and blind. And we're committed to providing quality services that are consumer-driven and respect responsive. Um, the website for RCMDB is www.rcmdb.org. Um, there are two documentaries on the front of that main page. The first one talks about RCMDB itself, and the second one is a video that actually describes a lot about the first year of the camp. Right on. Well, Caroline, we hope that you have a wonderful time at camp coming up here in a couple of days. It's always fun when adults get to get to act like kids. So yes. I hope it's a I hope it's a really yeah. lovely time here in a couple of days. Thank you for making the time for us this morning, and hopefully oh, we get you. a chance to connect again uh, down the road. And Erica, I want to thank you as well for laying out, uh, sort of putting us on the grounds of the camp. Best of luck here in these last couple of days of organization. And I hope you get to enjoy some time on the ground at the camp as well. Absolutely. Thank you very much. That's Caroline Taves, board member at the Resource Centre for Manitobans who are deaf and blind. Erica Duguay is the co-coordinator at the Resource Centre for the for Manitobans who are deaf and blind. Coming up next, we will bring in lifestyle columnist Shiny Saravanamuthu. She'll share some tips on how to maximize and evening out on the town so you see that the segment we talked about spending some time in the great outdoors at camp and then uh, next segment we talk about spending a night on the town in some urban flavor but first here is canadian press reporter emily javesky with your morning business minutes Canada's largest stock index ticked higher yesterday. The S&P TSX Composite Index closed up 79 points at 20,181. In New York, the Dow Jones was up 151 points at 33,912. The Nasdaq closed up 81 points at 13,128. Asian shares are mostly higher as regional markets look to strong economic signs out of the U.S. and China as drivers of growth. In Tokyo this morning, the Nikkei was up 354 points to 29,223. The Hang Seng Index in Hong Kong was up 107 points before close at 19,938. Our dollar is trading overseas this morning at 77.7 cents U.S. From the Canadian Press Business Desk, I'm Emily Joveski. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Every now and then, you get to plan a big night out. I'm not talking about a trip to your local for the same old plate of french fries. Nah, 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 nah. I'm talking about a night out on the town for a special event. A concert, a game, a gala, a comedy show, the big stuff. Here's the thing. Some good planning can really maximize your good times too. Lifestyle columnist Shiny Saravanamuthu is here to offer up a few thoughts on just that. Hey, good morning, Shiny. 
Hi, how are you? I feel like I haven't spoken to you in ages. <laughs> it has been it has been a minute since we last got to hang out. So, Shiny, yeah. first and foremost, since the last time we spoke, you went to see Kevin Hart, the comedian. How was the mm -hmm. show? Where was the show? Did you have a good time? Uh, show was great. I had a great time, and it was at the Bell Center. So it was in downtown Montreal. All right, right in the thick for, of it. It was one of the shows for Just for Laughs. Right in the thick of it, right there in the meat of downtown Montreal at the Bell Center. Good times. So... <laughs> Much like a lot of large-scale comedians, Kevin Hart's been having people put their cell phones and other devices away during the show, locking them away. How did yeah. it feel to be off the grid for a few hours? Honestly, it was really nice because, like, you had to focus on the show. You had no distractions. You weren't uh, stressing over the perfect post for Instagram or, like, you know, putting it out there. Or And, like, people around you were all zoned in on the show. Everyone was talking to one another. Like, even when you're walking within the Bell Center, you didn't have access to your phone. So as soon as you got to the entrance, before you went through, like, the security check, they give you a little pouch, and your phone goes in there, and it locks. And it's only the security guards can, that can unlock it. So there had a station up on top where if you had an emergency, you can go on top, and they'll unlock it. And in front of them, you can use the phone and then put it back in. Um, but yeah, I think it's a great idea. I know a lot of people are so like consumed on their phone these days. So this is a great way to focus on the comedian and for them not to have distractions either. So I, I think I, some people, were, I think the younger generations were complaining, but we were like, oh, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look at this shiny. We're you're officially of the age now where you can look down at the young people and be like, you young people wanting to get your stuff on the TikTok. We just live on the gram over here. Uh, shiny. What was the experience like getting out though? Once everybody had their stuff locked in their pouches, did that make it a bit difficult to get out of the building? Actually, in the beginning, it was like a bit of a lineup. But then like I had since there was a lineup, I was like, oh, let me just run to the bathroom because the bathroom was right there. And I came out of the bathroom. And the line was gone. So it like quickly it moved out quickly. Okay. They had like, several people doing it and they had people kind of scattered around saying like, hey, do you need your phone on like your phone to be unlocked? And then it was kind of quite quick. OK, good planning. You see, I like that. And that and that leads to the theme of this segment, which is good planning. So mm -hmm. let's talk about this night out, planning the big night out. We'll break this out sort of piece by piece. Did you okay. have a particular strategy when it came to picking your seats? 100%. So previous years, I have always watched a hockey game or anything up higher because that's what I could afford. And I always, <laughs> always struggled because once you get into your section, you have to walk up. And those stairs are very narrow at the Bell Center. Um, they're not very accessible. They're not very friendly. And especially when you're leaving the venue, people are usually in a hurry to get out. So it's not the safest when you can't see. So this time, uh, my boyfriend was like, oh, you know, the floor seats for Kevin Hart are actually quite affordable. Why don't we do it? Because it, it will be easier for you also. So it kind of worked out in our favor that the four seats were quite affordable and it was just easier and I didn't have to go up all those stairs. You just got through the main floor and you just walked up into the where the ice normally would be and we got to sit there. And even when we got out, it was straight out. So there wasn't that many stairs or anything to take. So for me, accessibility wise, it was good. And on the floor seats, you didn't have to go back up for the bathrooms. They had the bathrooms back there if you needed to go to the bathroom. Oh, smart. That's really smart. Yeah. yeah that's really good planning. It seems like they really did put some planning into this, right? I mean, it's the, yeah, Bell, it's the Bell Center. They have an event or two. They exactly. probably, they probably know the strategy. Yeah. I'm, exactly. 
I'm similar to you, Shiny. I find the stairs to be quite daunting in a lot of arenas and stadiums. Mm-hmm. So I like to sort of limit myself to only a couple of a couple of stairs to deal with. So I like to sit sort of a couple rows down from the entrance of my section or just yeah. a couple rows up so I'm not dealing with too, too many. But my mm-hmm. strategy as sort of a larger, taller guy I like having my, myself an aisle seat. I like being able to be on the aisle, even if that means standing up to let people buy from time to time. Yeah. I'd still rather have the freedom to make quick escapes for the bathroom or for snacks. Yeah. 100%. What about some research about the venue, generally speaking? I like snacks when I'm going to big concerts or an event, so I'm <laughs> typically looking at, uh, you know, the arena website to know where a section of, section of a particular vendor or item might be available, yeah. you know, for the gram, for the gram shiny. What about you? Do, you? do you do any research about the venue before you even show up? So I guess for me, I've been to the Bell Center so many times that in this case I didn't have to because I was very aware and, like, the food and everything is usually the same on each floor or whatnot. And like, well, let's be honest, I don't really eat as often at the arena. Let's say it's a kind of expensive. Oh, so yeah. I usually oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, But if any other venue, yes, I do do research. I do try to see like online for pictures, um, especially not just venues. Anywhere that I go, I always check for online pictures just to scope out the area. And usually when I do go in, I usually ask where the bathroom is just to know ahead of time. So uh, in this case, and I know with big venues, you can, especially when you're buying the seat, the tickets, you you can see where things are, like especially when you're talking about seating to see if you're next to an exit or not. So that's always important when planning ahead to see accessibility wise. Um, but yeah, I, I always check to see not even just like the inside of the venue, but what the venue is near, like a metro or whatnot, you know, just to know like how what's close by or we'll look for a restaurant closer by, you know, just like location is key and everything. Mm-hmm. And just kind of planning everything around the main location is always important just because you'll be closer to it, parking. You only have to park once, you know, and just just easier for everyone. Yeah, no, (laughs) no, you're right. Whether it be the parking or whether it be the subway, the metro, it makes a lot of sense. For example, the Bell Centre is connected to a bunch of different metros around Montreal, whether it be Lucien Lallier or Bonaventure. Uh, But sometimes Mm -hmm. it's actually easier to pop off on the green line and walk down to the the arena to avoid some of the crowds, the crowds as you're making your way through. So there's there's all kinds of little researches you can do. (laughs) Speaking of the vicinity of the arena or the stadium. What about uh, some plans around the evening, maybe making a dinner reservation, especially if you know there's going to be quite a crowd around the venue? Yeah, exactly. So everyone is pretty well known for not eating at the Bell Center. So everyone's always going to eat outside beforehand. So the show, the doors opened at seven. So we knew we'd have to make a reservation ahead of time because everyone's going to have the same idea. It's just for laughs. It's summer. It was a Friday night on top of that. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, uh, and it was like the last weekend before construction holiday ended. So we knew it was going to be busy. So we made reservations and everything ahead of time. And we found something that was close enough. So we parked the car uh, kind of in the middle of the restaurant and the bell center. So that way we can kind of walk back and forth. And it was easy and it was a beautiful night. So, um, yeah, so definitely looking into restaurants. And uh, we knew we bought the tickets back in February. So, so closer to, we kind of started looking for res- reservations because we knew other people would have the same idea. So that's another thing. When you go for a big event like this, a big concert at like, you know, the Rogers Center or anything, you'll know, 
people are going to have the same idea. So it's always important to think ahead and plan ahead because you want to get that reservation before someone else. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And if you are capable of doing it, sometimes it does make sense to give yourself a little bit of a walk, a little bit of a buffer from the restaurant yeah. to the arena, because exactly. then you're going to cut down on those crowds a little bit. Or you can do my strategy, yeah. which is trying to shove your way into a corner of the old orchard on De La Montagne to just shove some sweet potato fries in your face. But you know, that, that's its own strategy <laughs> in and of itself. Uh, Shiny, not to give too much away here, but you live a little bit outside the city core. Did you have any considerations about taking a hotel for the evening? I've done that a few times as sort of a staycation. Yeah, honestly, I would. Uh, This time we had a a designated driver, so we did not need to do that. But if we didn't, I think we would have just because it's it's a weekend in the summer. And post-COVID, we all haven't done this in a really long time. So just to enjoy it and make sure everyone's enjoying themselves. And like you said, a little staycation because I live in like the middle of nowhere, kind of. So downtown Montreal is nice um, to get away and stuff. But so what we did is... um, we went for dinner, we went to the show, we walked around a bit, and then we stopped by Julep. <laughs> oh, nice. A little trip yeah. up to Cary to the Orange Julep. Yeah. Now we're talking. Wow, Shiny yeah, Muthu knows how to live. There's no doubt about it. <laughs> okay, Shiny, what do you think? You had a good night out? Do you already have a plan for the next big concert or comedy show in mind? Because, you know, I'm super cool. I'm going to a big wrestling show in a few months when they roll through oh, Toronto. Wow. Again, so super cool. Uh, what about yeah. you? I really want to go to Backstreet Boys, but the tickets are insane right now. So if I magically stumble upon affordable <laughs> tickets, then it'll be Backstreet Boys. But I'm not too optimistic about it. They uh, tore up Toronto a few weeks ago at the Budweiser stage for an outdoor show. And then on the Saturday night, Drake showed up to close the show with them. Oh. <sighs> Oh my God, I'm so jealous. Yeah, I, I I was pretty jealous too. I was hanging out at my cousin's house and his fiance showed up after the show and she was all buzzing. And we were like, oh, we watched Office Space because we're super cool. <laughs> uh, hey, Shiny, thank you for this. Always nice catching up. We'll talk to you for a community Ooh. report in a couple of weeks. Yes, of course. Take care. That's Shiny Saravanamuthu, lifestyle columnist for us at Now with Dave Brown. Shiny knows how to live. Mike Ross knows how to live. He's here for the big business story of the day. Mike, we can't talk about the economy and business without talking inflation, inflation, inflation. But this time, inflation abroad. Yeah, and the reason I'm bringing this forward is just to show a little bit of a comparable, uh, you know, because a lot of people talk about, uh, you know, the inflation rate in Canada and how prices have soared in Canada. We hear some politicians out there, you know, saying that we've got the highest inflation in the world and we need to stop just inflation, et cetera, et cetera. And then people say, hey, wait a minute. Take a look at the world scale, and we're not that badly off compared to a lot of places. So I wanted to bring forth numbers from Great Britain, where their inflation rate hit a a new 40-year high of 10.1% in July. And a couple of big things, of course, pushing it there, as it does here, the price of food, the price of fuel. But here's what's interesting, Dave, is a couple of the staples that are largely uh, pushing prices up, up, and this sort of jumped out at me, toilet paper and toothbrushes. Now, I don't oh, have no, an not, explanation. Not, not toilet paper again. Oh, no, oh, the toilet paper go. rush re-engaging. Right? And that's why it jumped off the page to me because it was all the hoarding of toilet paper at the beginning of the pandemic. Now it's one of the leading causes of inflation in Great Britain. Things uh, got real tight. Paper, Things got real tight around the Brown household uh, about six yeah. weeks into the pandemic before the stock started getting reshelved. You could not spare a square, Dave. You could not <laughs> spare a square. Uh, people were taking two ply and separating it and making 
a bunch of one-ply just doing everything they could to conserve their toilet paper. But in this case, toilet paper toothbrushes really pushing up prices. But the other thing uh, that the Bank of England says, uh, soaring natural gas prices are likely to drive consumer price inflation to 13.3% by October. And the reason being about 87% of British homes are heated or uh, they do their cooking with natural gas so that that and that number continues to rise as it displaces electricity and coal Mm -hmm. Uh, but uh, natural Mm -hmm. gas is a huge product there's you know in canada we have a lot of homes have natural gas but a lot don't a lot are still electric for their heating for their uh, for their cooking uh things like that so uh, you know there are some pretty stark differences when you start talking about our numbers versus other parts of the world and some pretty uh, surprising reasons why. Yeah, the energy side of this is an interesting conversation because as we discussed on the show yesterday, in Canada, we saw a large part of our inflation drop being a drop in the cost of fuel. And the United States and Canada, unlike a lot of European countries, especially nor- especially uh, Western European countries, we do have a certain sense of energy independence. It took mm-hmm. us time to ramp up production to meet some of the needs we had domestically, but the United States was able to release, I believe it was 100 million barrels from their strategic reserve. We were able to increase increase our own our own production. A lot of cases in Western Europe, they do not have that kind of energy independence. So some of the relief that we're going to find just is not going to manifest in places like England. It just won't. Yeah, and now you're starting to see that same sort of push in certain agricultural sectors in Canada and saying, you know, we shouldn't be as as impacted in some uh, parts of the market as we are by a grain shortage coming from Ukraine. Mm -hmm. They are the the largest grain supplier to the world, but we've got a pretty good supply here in Canada. Is there a way that we can start managing that and address domestic issues and not be relying necessarily on a foreign uh, country that then finds itself, you know, engulfed in a conflict with somebody else who's invaded their country? And that's right. Then the dominoes start to fall across the world. So, you know, you don't want to necessarily be that, you know, Canada first, the way Donald Trump and his administration went America first. There are a lot of negative connotations with that, but there certainly are areas, whether, <coughs> excuse me, whether it be a fuel and, and energy or whether it be certain parts of the agricultural sector mm-hmm. that are sort of pushing back and saying, maybe we need to sort of rejig things here and think domestic first. And just as a closing thought, there, there's no way we can separate the inflation rises that existed in Britain in July without at least considering as well the heat wave that went through there, which did certainly cause a lot of disruptions, both in regards to usage of energy usage of resources but also in terms of any kind of any kind of food growth that may have existed in the area was also deeply impacted by that by that heat wave so there's a sure. lot there's a lot of cascading elements to these things but yeah when you're talking about 13 percent as, as a target as a target number heading into the fall that that's a stunning jaw-dropping number that's massive 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 so we'll be keeping a close eye beyond just the domestic look at inflation but we'll be looking at cost of living around us as well mike thank you for bringing us these numbers we appreciate it mm. My pleasure. That's Mike Ross. He'll be back with the big business story of the day in a couple of minutes. You know, that was the big business story of the day. Looking ahead into time, he'll be back for the regional news update in uh, 17 minutes. Let's call it 18. Because coming up next, 
Guy Carrier will be here for his final community report. He'll tell you all about the CNIB's upcoming Connecting the Dots conference. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. Now with Dave Brown on AMI, let's head into Sudbury, Ontario to meet up with community reporter Guy Carrier. Hey, good morning, Guy. How are you? Good morning, Dave. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Always nice to chat with you. Guy, you wanted to share an update, a health update here on your guide dog, Dixon. How's Dixon doing? What happened? Uh, so he's, uh, at the moment, he's doing better. He's still uh, recovering. Um so I just wanted uh, just to mention that just so people know that, you know, guide dogs aren't invincible. Um, so he had, uh, he had went to the vet about six months ago and they had noticed uh, a few little lumps um, on his, his rib cage area. And they, they said that they were uh, probably just fat deposits, uh, nothing to be concerned about. Uh, but then when I brought him in for his last checkup, they did find another one uh, in a different area that was definitely different of a different, different nature, different texture. Um, and then the vet uh, clearly stated that it, you know, it, it may or may not be cancerous. It's definitely different. Um, so we made the decision to to just have the the surgery, have the lump removed, have it sent out to be tested. Um, so this happened last Wednesday. Uh, as of yet, I still have no results uh, from the testing. I'm hoping they're going to get back to me soon. Um, but uh, he is doing well now. He's He's taking it easy. He's having some some much real deserved time off, um, you know, just letting things heal and uh, keeping our fingers crossed. Uh, but uh, yeah, definitely these uh, these animals are, are they're beyond a member of the family. Uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's uh, it really it really pulls on your heartstrings when when something's not going right with them. Yeah, Guy, I'm really sorry to hear that. I know that's uh, that's certainly a, a lot of stress for you and the family to take on. As you say, uh, a service animal is beyond just someone who works with you. A service animal does become a part of the family. So good to hear that he's getting a little bit of yeah, downtime totally. here. And we'll keep our fingers crossed, too, and send our best hopes that uh, that, that the biopsy comes back clean on the, uh, on the surgery and that the recovery continues to go well and he can get back to work uh, sometime soon. But listen, everybody deserves a summer break, even the guide dogs. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> hey, uh, he couldn't have picked a better time to take some time off. Yeah, exactly. You know, the dog days of August, literally yeah. speaking. Uh, let's uh, let's yeah. jump over to uh, CNIB <laughs> and the Connecting the Dots events that are going to be uh, going on over the next couple of months because registration for these events are now open. So, Guy, I know we've talked about this on the show before, but give me uh, some insight here onto this year's conference. Uh, yeah, so definitely, I'm, and I'm really excited for this one because uh, now that I'm a member of the team, uh, I get a first uh, first glance view as to how it operates and how the planning is going. Um, and the thing that's exciting about this year is it's actually going to be a hybrid event. Um, so rather than doing that strictly online, remote uh, type uh, networking and and uh, conferencing. Um, we're going to be offering two different platforms. Uh, so there will be a, a French as well as an English uh, online version uh, that people can join. Uh, the French version will be on October 8th, 12th. No, October 18th. 
I, I can, I can, uh, hit, I, I can I've, I've got the dates right in front of me. Yeah, I can, I can hit them for I, you if I you want. I got so many dates in my head. Yeah, here. listen. I guess it's twelfth. Yeah, let, let, let me hit the dates and then and then I'm yeah. gonna ask you where folks can register because we've got October the twelfth sure. in person in Montreal. Then on the eighteenth yes. we have the virtual French language conference. So that's kind of cool. You can do the in person uh, yeah. and then do the virtual if you want to. Then October twenty, <laughs> October twentieth, we've got Toronto in person, and then October twenty fifth, there's the virtual English conference. Uh, but don't worry, folks out there out west, because October 27th is the in-person event in Calgary. So a couple events coming down the pipeline there. So you could uh, go to one in person and go to one online. Or if you're bilingual, you could go to four different events, which would be uh, pretty dope as you get around. Uh, Guy, uh, what, what, how, how can folks uh, register for this event? And, and anything you want to highlight just as we're talking about the registration opportunities? Yeah, definitely for highlighting. Um, like I mentioned, the fact that, that we're going to be doing a hybrid option, uh, it's a great opportunity for people to get in-person experience. Again, I know uh, a lot of people have been really missing that, that interaction. Um, you know, it's going to focus definitely highly on education and technology uh, and employment. And that's, that's the piece where I come in uh, as a member of the Come to Work team. Um, so definitely we, we do the, you know, the virtual networking stuff and it is definitely beneficial uh, to participants, but having the, the in-person interactions and having that, that in-person networking, um, I feel as though that's going to really elevate uh, the experiences for individuals. Yeah, Guy, I don't know about you, but I'm I'm a little bit shy sometimes when it comes to these in-person, these in-person events. But I know anytime I've gone to a lot of the CNIB events, the technology fairs, the connecting the dots, whether I've been covering them as a journalist or whether I've just been there. I always find they're so welcoming. Mm-hmm. People people are always really interested to talk to you. I find I tend to post up around the vendor section because the vendors are obviously by their nature interested in talking to you. And next thing you know, you find yourself yeah. in three or four conversations and then the ball's rolling. You've ripped off the Band-Aid and now you're just making small talk like a pro. Exactly. I mean, if you're lucky, if you're coming down to Toronto, uh, maybe we'll get to shake hands. No way. You're going to be at the Toronto events. Yeah, absolutely. Right on. Guy Carrier making his way all the way to the big smoke into the big city with Guy. I like that one. <laughs> hey, uh, Guy, I'm just going to give people a little bit of more contact information here. Of course, cnib.ca is, is a great way just to kind of get going. And then there's a really, mm-hmm. really long website here that I'm not going to read on air, but it will go up on the blog, ami.ca slash now blog. But if they do want to learn more about some of the work that you're doing, they can send you an email at come to work at cnib.ca come to work at cnib.ca is an email address. And again, I'm going to give those dates one more time because I kind of hodgepodge them before October the 12th, 2022. That event is in Montreal in person, October the 18th, 2022. That's the virtual en français French language conference. Then we've got October 20th, 2022 in Toronto. That's where Guy and I may shake hands. October 25th, 2022. That's the virtual English conference. And then for our friends out West, October the 27th in Calgary for the in-person events, come to work at cnib.ca or cnib.ca to learn more. Guy, unfortunately, this is going to be the last time you're joining us for a community report. You've been working with now with Dave Brown and live from studio five, the show's predecessor since 2017. My goodness, Guy, we are going to miss you. We're going to miss your sense of humor. We're going to miss the fishing updates. Hey, man, uh, what are some of your favorite memories, and, and what are you off to? What, what are you doing? What's next for Guy Carrier? Uh, so definitely hitting on some of the memories. Uh, I think back um, 
I think it was 2018, uh, obviously pre-COVID, uh, I did have an opportunity to come down to Toronto uh, and I got to do my my segment live in studio, which was a great opportunity. I got to meet a lot of the people behind the scenes, um, shake some hands, you know. Um, I think that was by far my most memorable experience uh, with AMI up until this point. Um, really what's, what's coming down the pipeline for me is uh, I'm going to continue doing what I do with CNIB. Uh, working with people with sight loss. Um, I'm going to still try to pursue a career in social work, obviously. Um, fishing is definitely going to be at the top of my list, no matter what. And uh, I, I really hope that uh, we cross paths once again. I agree, Guy. Hopefully we get a chance to connect. Hopefully it's uh, in October when you're down here in the big smoke. So until then, sir, we thank you for all your years of tremendous work here on this show. And uh, we appreciate it. Best of luck with the fishing. Best of luck with the career. And we'll talk to you soon. Wonderful. Thanks, Dave. That's Guy Carrier, community reporter in Sudbury, Ontario. As mentioned, you can find more information on these stories on the blog, ami.ca slash now blog. Let's... Uh, Wrap up the hour with a couple of news stories. Starting in British Columbia, the number of deaths from toxic drugs dropped slightly in BC in June, but the province's chief coroner says British Columbia is still on track to record its deadliest year when it comes to the overdose crisis. Lisa Lapointe says just under 2,000 fatal overdoses occurred between January and June, with 146 in June. Guy Filicella with the BC Centre on Substance Abuse says without option, tragedies will continue. Change little and little will change and that's why I'm angry. We're not doing enough and it's killing people. For years it's been a little bit more than an incremental changes, pilot project here, a few treatment beds there. Nothing substantial has changed to our laws, to our policies and it's leading to so many more deaths. The coroner says the number of illicit toxicity deaths in BC in June amounts to about 4.9 every day. Looking south of the border, U.S. regulators have finalized a long-awaited rule that's expected to allow millions of Americans to buy hearing aids without a prescription. The rule announced by the Food and Drug Administration goes into effect this fall. Glenda Greer has hearing loss and says she'd still recommend having a professional decide whether or not you need a hearing aid rather than self-diagnosing. It's uh, good to have someone with a, um, with a medical degree to make that determination. It could just be they have a wax buildup, just need their ears cleaned out, and then they don't need hearing aids at all. <laughs> the FDA estimates that nearly 30 million American adults could potentially benefit from a hearing aid, though only about one-fifth of people who are hard of hearing currently use one. One more story for you, and it's a bit of field good to wrap up the hour. A dog missing for two months was found alive inside a Missouri cave. Lisa Dwyer has the story. Jeff Garnert had all but given up on seeing his poodle hound mix again after she went missing in early June. Two months later, he got a text from a neighbor. People exploring a nearby cave had found a dog. Like, oh my goodness, that's Abby. How could, how could this even be? It's been two months. How can she be still alive at this point? Rescuers believe the nearly 14-year-old dog lived mostly off her own body fat while spending nearly 60 days inside the cave nearly 500 feet in before her rescue on August 6th. She walked to the truck with me and I put her in the, picked her up and put her in. And that's when I realized uh, how much weight she had lost because she was feather light. Abby is now regaining weight and is wagging her tail again. I'm Lisa Dwyer. Who doesn't love a found dog story? Warms your heart. I want to back up to the previous story, though, where you heard uh, one of the individuals quoted saying, maybe you just need to clean your ears, get a proper flushing of wax buildup. 
I'm curious, how often do you go seek out that kind of procedure? Because your boy is looking into it. So send me recommendations and feedback in your experiences. Feedback at AMI.ca is the email address. Feedback at AMI.ca. At AMI-audio is where you find us on social media. At Accessible Media Inc. is where you find us on Facebook. Or you give us a phone call, 1-866-509-4545. This is Now with Dave Brown on AMI. back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI-audio, AMI-tv, AMI.ca, and the mighty AMI-audio podcast network. I suppose I could simplify that by just saying across the AMI family of networks. I'm Dave Brown. It's Wednesday, August 17th, 2022. Coming up in the second hour of the show, financial tech company Wise is introducing a new Interact e-transfer feature in Canada. Mike Agarbo of The App Show will transfer that story, that information to your ears and eyes. Mark on a new world of podcasting. Saying goodbye to Guy, saying goodbye to a toll on my heart. While I weep silently here in the corner of Studio 5, let's go back to Mike Ross for the regional news update. Dave, will begin in British Columbia. Two days of hot temperatures are expected in BC starting today. Environment Canada says a strong ridge of high pressure will bring a short-lived heat wave to many regions with temperatures expected to cool on Friday. The heat warnings cover the east coast of Vancouver Island, Metro Vancouver and the Fraser Valley the Sunshine Coast, inland sections of the North Coast, and several regions in the southern interior, including the Fraser Canyon and central Okanagan. It says the hottest time of day will be late afternoon to early evening, and they're urging people to watch for symptoms of heat illness. In the prairies, Saskatchewan Polytechnic is getting funding to train more early childhood educators. The province says $3.5 million will flow to the school, which has campuses in Regina, Saskatoon, Prince Albert, and Moose Jaw. Sask Polytech says parents want well-trained early childhood educators. The courses available include an autism training program to help support children living with autism spectrum disorder. The United Conservative Party government has released its proposal for a provincial police service to replace the RCMP in Alberta communities. Justice Minister Tyler Shandro says the plan would add 275 frontline officers to small detachments. Deputy Commissioner Curtis Zablocki, the commanding officer of the Alberta RCMP, says it constantly adjusts its service to meet the demands of Albertans and has already worked closely with the provincial government. Earlier this year, the rural municipalities of Alberta said it supports keeping the RCMP and opposes the idea of a provincial police force. To Ontario, the highest court there has ordered the province to pay $3.5 million to a company at the heart of a tainted meat probe nearly two decades ago. The Court of Appeal ruled last week that the province owes a duty of care to Aylmer Meatpackers after it took over the plant for 19 months after a 2003 investigation into tainted meat. The main issue in the appeal case focused on Aylmer's lost opportunity to sell the plant due to the government's arbitration of the abattoir. 
the three-judge panel said the Ontario Ministry of Agriculture, Food and Rural Affairs engaged in a, quote, litany of bureaucratic ineptitude. And in the Atlantic region, a province-wide open fire ban in Newfoundland and Labrador was lifted this morning, starting at midnight. The ban for the central and eastern parts of Newfoundland was introduced August 5th and extended to the whole province on August 7th. It was introduced as two large forest fires shut down a central Newfoundland highway and prompted a temporary state of emergency. The fires are still burning, though one was reported to be 20% contained as of yesterday evening. And finally, the Chief Public Health Office in Prince Edward Island is warning of the presence of blue-green algae in Black Pond in Souris. Blue-green algae may form scum on the surface of freshwater ponds or lakes and can cause skin rashes and irritation in swimmers' eyes. People can become very sick if they ingest the water and it can be fatal for pets. Officials say they will monitor the situation at Black Pond and the public will be advised when that advisory is lifted. And those are your top regional headlines going coast to coast across the country. Thank you very much, Mike. Let's bring in our friend Jeff Ryman for a sports chat. Jeff, even if people are sick of the World Juniors, too bad. It's a big day in Edmonton. How are you feeling going into this big day of a four-header, not a triple-header, a quadruple-header starting at noon Eastern? Full day of hockey, Dave, starting right at noon and goes all the way probably till about midnight-ish Eastern time. Yeah, so last, game, last game starts at 10 o'clock, so figure about to just yeah. after midnight for the USA and uh, USA and Czech Republic or Czechia to wrap up. Yeah, yeah, love it. Uh, I'm pretty excited. I'm pretty pumped. There's some great matchups. Obviously, Canada plays in a pretty prime time slot, 7 Eastern. I guess that's 5 out in uh, the mountains there out in uh, Edmonton. So very nice primetime game against Switzerland. And we talked about Switzerland where they're one of those teams that's sort of on the up and up. And uh, I don't know. I don't know about you, Dave, but, you know, I I am a little bit um, not concerned, but like I'm more invested, I feel like now, because it's an elimination game and it's going to be pretty testy. I I don't think Switzerland's going to back down. I think everybody expects Canada to roll over everybody until they get to the gold medal game or or to the semis, but I don't think that's necessarily going to be the case uh, today with uh, a team like Switzerland. They play a very structured game of hockey. I don't know that this particular iteration of the Switzerland team is going to pose much danger. They have not posed much danger for the entire tournament to everybody they've played. They're not putting pucks in the net, and they're not necessarily getting the goaltending they've gotten in the past from a couple of uh, elite Swiss goaltenders who've made their way into the NHL. I don't think this is the iteration of the team that is necessarily going to scare Canada, but because the Swiss hockey program was essentially built by Canadians, there's a lot of Canadian influence to the way that they play. So it's very structured defensive hockey and very physical around the perimeter. So that's the one thing that Canada needs to be careful about. They've been a little sloppy with the puck at the blue line throughout the tournament. And those are the kind of counterattacks where a team who might not be as offensively gifted like Switzerland, they may still be able to pop a couple opportunities. Yeah, and the physicality has definitely been there for Team Canada as well. I think it was on full display against Team Finland the other night. Um, Ridley Gregg, who is just uh, who's blossoming into a phenomenal star here uh, at the World Junior Championships, and 
he had a, a pretty pretty decent game against the Finns. Couple of power moves, couple of nice solid checks, and that's something that I think uh, as an Ottawa Senators fan, you should probably be taking note of. They've got some pretty solid prospects throughout this entire tournament, um, but he really stands out to me with, with that physicality. And then also we touched on defense and how Switzerland and Canada are very similar, and, and they, they they seem to churn out some some pretty good defensemen that end their, uh, that end up in the NHL. And I think one defenseman, Dave, that has stood out to me. I don't know if you if, if you've taken notice of this. But Olin Zellweger uh, has looked really, really good. Uh, I think he's probably been their best defenseman. Um, he somehow manages to get every shot on net. <laughs> uh, you know, his shots don't get blocked very often. They find their way to the net. There's always big, juicy rebounds. He makes a smart play. He's one of those typical undersized defensemen, but his skating really makes up for the ability, um, you know, uh, I guess that 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 lack of height, um, if you will. So he's one of those guys that has really caught my attention. It is somebody that I think that should be, uh, you, you'll probably see in the NHL at some point. We just talked about Ottawa and how their prospect pool is deep. He's drafted by Anaheim. He's oh, got a ton yeah. of prospects oh, as gosh, well. So, <laughs> uh, uh, I just wanted to highlight him. He's been such a fun player to watch throughout this entire tournament. The poise is just uh, already next level, and he's still got another year of eligibility. He could very well be on this team come December. So he's a player that I'm really keeping an eye on. Speaking of players with eligibility still in place, there's a couple of Americans who are not necessarily leading that team in their scoring right now, but have had a very strong tournament. The third overall pick in this year's draft, Logan Cooley, who was drafted Mm -hmm. by the Arizona Coyotes, already has four assists in this tournament, and there's the possibility that he's going to find his game as it moves along as we get down to crunch time here, as his role has expanded game over game for the Americans. Also, uh, a name that would be familiar to many hockey fans, the Hughes family, of course, Quinn Mm -hmm. playing out there in Vancouver, Jack in New Jersey, and their little brother, Luke, is also one of the top assist men in this uh, tournament as well. And, you know, those Hughes are good skaters and good puck movers. So the Americans are going to be uh, rolling, I think, against Czechia tonight. Jeff, when we're talking about the possibility of an upset today, because it's the winner-go-home situation. There are some teams, particularly Sweden, who have not necessarily scored as many goals as they'd like to. Emil Andre is the only player in the uh, top 10 in goals or assists right now for the Swedish team. They're going up against a Latvian squad, which as we've pointed out, have been, let's call them plucky. They've been a plucky squad and their goaltender, Bruno Bruveres, I wanted to make sure I get that right. I want to give him the love appropriately, is in the top five in save percentage in this tournament. As I'm thinking about the anatomy of an upset, Jeff, I would look at that Latvia-Sweden game, not saying they're going to win. I'm just saying I've, I've worked at and watched enough hockey tournaments in my life. Sometimes when a goalie gets hot, that's all it takes. Sweden minus 3,000 favorites, but Dave, <laughs> I'm totally on the same page as you. Minus 3,000. Okay, maybe I'll put a shekel on that one just because. Yeah. If you're going to go the other way, maybe sprinkle a couple of dollars on Latvia. But Dave, you know what? I, I totally agree with you. I mean, they got their first regulation win at the tournament ever <laughs> this week. So well, let's get a winning uh, that... streak going. Let's get a winning streak going, Jeff. Yeah. No, but Dave, I mean, even against a team like Canada, and I feel like we mentioned this the other day, I mean, they 
played pretty well against Canada. Canada winning 5-2. But again, like I think a lot of people expected Canada to roll over Latvia. But it just – Latvia was one of those teams that just disrupts a, a bunch of uh, nice plays. Um, and Sweden, you're right. They haven't really fully blossomed in this tournament. Same thing goes for Finland. I feel like Finland uh, hasn't really lived up to their expectations as well. And they've got a tough matchup against Germany. So I'm sort of eyeing that one. You know me with my Germans, Yeah, right? yeah. you got to gotta support <laughs> um, your German but, squad. Well, but, Jeff, that, that also goes to the anatomy of winning in an upset in a tournament. The goaltender Florian Bugel for Germany is uh, number Number four in goals against average in this tournament. So although the save percentage isn't necessarily as high as the Latvian netminder, we're still talking about a goaltender who's making the saves. And ultimately, that's what you get in these kinds of games. Can the underdog team's goaltender hold up? And can they score a couple of maybe special team goals or a counterattack goal? And then all of a sudden, the opposing team like Finland or Sweden, I would argue Finland has a little bit more scoring power right now than Sweden does. Yeah. And that, that shows in the tournament scoring. But the fact is, when you start grabbing those sticks kind of tight, all of a sudden that 2-1 or 3-2 Germany win becomes in grasp. Yeah, absolutely, Dave. And, and a team like Latvia is one of those teams that I think just the casual fan can really get behind. We mentioned this before that they weren't even supposed to be here. I mean, they're like the third option. <laughs> like it was supposed to be Russia. Uh-uh, can't come. It was supposed to be Belarus. Uh-uh, can't come. All right, Latvia, you're getting the call up. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, sort of that Cinderella story uh, mentality is, is starting to take shape here. And I think a lot of people uh, are, are starting to take note. And, and good for Latvia. I mean, I always love seeing those types of stories. And uh, like I mentioned, they've been really solid. I mean, I know they have just one win. I know they've been getting pumped by a couple of teams. But nonetheless, they've, they're pesky. They are ready to go. And I might have to sprinkle a couple of dollars on Lafayette here tonight. All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna log into my OLG account uh, and, t- and take <laughs> a peek here, uh, Jeff. Just as we're wrapping up here, and it's sort of the always temperature question that I ask you in regards to today. I'm going to a Blue Jays game. So that shows you kind mm-hmm. of where my focus on the uh, tournament is today. But what about you? Here we are, quarterfinals. Where, where would you Where would you rank your temperature? Maybe in percentages. Yeah, I'd say maybe about 75-ish percent. Well, that's pretty high. In that that's range. pretty high. It's getting there. It's getting there. And Dave, actually, if you're at the Jays game, I believe it's a 307 start. It is. So that's it is. Perfect, a perfect segue maybe to go to a bar or something and watch Team Canada play at 7 o'clock Eastern. So uh, I, I, li- I like how you're setting the day up here, Dave. But in terms of come You want to come in from Pickering? We got an extra seats. <laughs> <laughs> tempting day very tempting <laughs> uh, but yeah I, I it's getting there it, I think the elimination games are starting to get there I think once we get to the semis and then obviously the metal games that will be um, you know that temperature gauge is going to continue yeah, to go yeah. up so yeah uh, I, I'm getting there Dave Jeff I, I apologize if I'm putting you on the spot here D- do we know what the what the breakdown of the schedule is are the semis tomorrow and the finals on Saturday or the semis on Friday uh, uh, do you have any sense off the top of your head what yeah. the schedule is yeah, the, the schedule, it goes on Friday. So the final four teams will be on Friday, and then Saturday will be the bronze medal oh, and yeah. then the gold medal game. Nice. So, and Saturday is my birthday, Dave. I'm going to a bar, fingers crossed, oh. that, uh, that that Team Canada will be playing when I'm there with all my friends. Jeffy, that be something? Jeffy Ryman, finally turning 19 to be young again. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff, have a great day, man. We'll talk to you tomorrow. See you, Dave. <laughs> Jeff, Jeff's a little older than 19, but uh, still young at heart. And I, I wish when I grew up, I'll be, I'll be just like Jeff Ryman. Let's go back to Grace Scofield. Grace has the national weather update. 
Thanks, Dave. Here's your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. We start off in Cornerbrook, Newfoundland, where it's sunny, becoming a mix of sun and cloud later this morning, with a high of 27 degrees. In Charlottetown, it's mainly cloudy, with periods of rain beginning this morning and a risk of a thunder shower this afternoon, with a high of 21 degrees. In St. John, it's cloudy today, with periods of rain beginning later this morning and a risk of a thunder shower this afternoon, with a high of 21 degrees. Over in Quebec City, it's mainly cloudy, with a high of 25 degrees. In Toronto, a mix of sun and cloud today with a 30% chance of showers this afternoon and a risk of a thunderstorm with a high of 27 degrees. So you're saying dome closed? I'm pretty sure dome will be closed. I'm going to put my sunscreen on anyway, though. That's a good idea. That's yeah. a good idea. In Sault Ste. Marie, a mix of sun and cloud with 30% chance of showers this afternoon and a risk of a thunderstorm with a high of 26 degrees. Over in Brandon, Manitoba, it's sunny, with some increasing cloudiness this morning, then 30% chance of showers this afternoon, and a risk of a thunderstorm this afternoon as well, with a high of 29 degrees. In Regina, a few showers ending this morning, then a mix of sun and cloud with a 30% chance of showers and a risk of a thunderstorm into the afternoon, with a high of 28 degrees. In Lethbridge, Alberta, it's sunny today, with a high of 32 degrees. In Red Deer, Alberta, it's also sunny today with a high of 27 degrees. In Whitehorse, some showers ending late this afternoon, then cloudy for the rest of the day with a high of 18 degrees. In Kelowna, BC, it's sunny today with a high of 35 degrees. And in Vancouver, BC, it's sunny today with a high of 27 degrees. And that was your AMI National Weather Report from Environment Canada. Thank you very much, Grace. Coming up next, financial tech company Wise is introducing a new Interact e-transfer feature in Canada. Mike Agarbo will deposit those details for you. But first, there is no tech trends today. I forgot to mention that via email. Apologies, everyone. It's not my fault. Well, it is my fault. I should have sent the email, but I'm not the person who produces tech trends. That's someone down there at ABC and the Associated Press, so... Oh, Grace, you found Tech Trends. Someone did indeed produce it. Do you have the intro? Do you know what we're talking about? Here, we're gonna, you know what we're going to do? We're going to throw to Grace Scofield and, oh, we do not have the intro. So you know what? The intro is built right into Tech Trends. Uh, so let's give that a listen. <laughs> of people between age 9 and 24 prefer TikTok for online searches, according to new data from Google. Adrian Shears is a social media consultant who focus grouped some members of Gen Z. They don't have a long attention span. They want to get the information really quickly. Instead, they prefer to scroll through TikTok hashtags or use the For You page algorithm. The chances of it being relevant are extremely high, so they can find information really quickly because if you're a avid user of TikTok, it knows quite a bit of information about you already. Shears also says Gen Z tends to search for lighter topics on TikTok, recipes, fashion, and bar recommendations, leaving heavier topics to Google. They'll use other methods to verify, which generally looks like going to Google or a news source to back it up. With Tech Trends, I'm Derek Dennis, ABC News.
Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's bring in Mike Agarbo, the host of the app show, to tell you about what's happening in the world of technology. If you want to dive deep with Mike, you can always find his show Saturdays at 11 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. And you can find Mike in Vancouver, British Columbia. Hello, Mike. Good morning. So, Mike, let's start in the world of finance, where Wise, a UK-based fintech company, financial tech company, has introduced an Interact e-transfer feature in Canada. So, Mike, let's start here. Is this feature similar to other transfer services provided by major financial institutions in Canada? Uh, yes and no. Uh, this card is really aimed at people that uh, do traveling. So if you're going uh, international or even just going down to the States, this offers a, a really easy and cost-effective way to transfer funds from Canadian dollars into whatever currency that you uh, want. Once you sign up, uh, you get a, a digital uh, cart that you can put in your uh, Apple wallet or your Google wallet. And they also send you a, a physical card uh, as well. It's a prepaid Visa debit card that you can basically load up. And the idea is that uh, when you want to transfer some money, for example, over into U.S. funds, you just go into the app and you do the transfer. And the great thing is the exchange rate is really, really competitive. It's uh, better than uh, uh, a lot of the banks out there and also a lot of those exchange houses uh, as well. So from a convenience factor, it is fantastic uh, when uh, traveling. And now they've made it even easier with this uh, Interact uh, uh, transfer feature so that you can get money, your Canadian money, uh, onto the card uh, very simply. Yeah, that's one of the things that's really interesting here because typically it can be quite difficult to transfer Canadian funds outside of Canadian institutions if you are taking a trip abroad. So tell me a bit more about WISE as a company. What exactly are they offering in Canada? How popular are they in Canada? Is it relatively easy to open an account in Canada? It's uh, stupid simple, to be honest. Um, you know, they're basically just kind of a uh, a, a currency conversion uh, company, just trying to make it easy. And uh, uh, they've uh, been operating for a, a few uh, years uh, now. Uh, I've uh, been using my card, uh, you know, for the past uh, eight months. And what I love is once I've got the money into whatever currency, whether that's, uh, you know, UK pounds or US dollars, once I visit that country, it just acts like a, a regular debit card. You can take money out very easily in the ATMs, and you can also use it uh, as a debit card in any uh, store as well. So just just from a, a travel perspective, this is uh, kind of my now must-have when I'm uh, going anywhere. Mike, I like that you're flashing your card here. Hopefully, uh, there's no nefarious individuals taking screenshots and marking down your number here. And, uh, and you know, oh, they, they can screenshot this all they want. The number's on the back. <laughs> <laughs> and thankfully, we broadcast in standard def, so it's pretty hard to pick up those numbers anyway. <laughs> We've come ah. to get you yet again. Uh, Mike, are there any other features about WISE that makes them perhaps an appealing option for someone to open an account? I think it's just a, a safe way to, you know, carry money around with you instead of carrying a bunch of cash, uh, you know, currency with you. <laughs> I feel uh, seen. I feel uh, seen. I tend to have a wad with me when I travel. <laughs> a big, a big, a big wad and a passport, which seems, <laughs> which you think would make me a pretty easy target for nefarious characters. Well, you know, it, it's just saved me a lot of money because, you know, lately I've just been taking my regular debit card uh, with me, obviously, and uh, using that in ATMs. But, you know, you just get hosed on all the different fees, you know, the transaction fee, the exchange fee, uh, the ATM fee. You know, by the time the dust clears, you know, you're you're paying like 20 bucks, you know, just to, uh, you know, take, uh, you know, $50 out. So yeah. uh, this is a much better way to do it. Again, it's a, a wise card and it's really simple to go to their website and sign up. Maybe and they're I'm, not paying me to say that. Well, there you go. Well, maybe I'm, maybe I'm thinking too far here, but this 
also sounds a little bit like an answer to some of the centralization questions that have that have sort of been so appealing around things like Bitcoin or other forms of crypto, which say it's a, li it's a little easier to move currency around through those formats. But this, of course, offers the stability of actual currency. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you still have to have a bank to get currency onto the uh, the card, so uh, the bank's not going away anytime yeah, soon. Yeah, the, the bank is not going away anytime soon. They're well entrenched. But Mike, what's coming down the pipeline, the future of foldable phones are here. We've been talking all about the Samsung Unpacked event and the flips and the folds and the phones, and it seems like this is maybe something that is uh, working its way around and becoming more popular. So we had some reaction here from the Samsung Electronics mobile head, Rote Moon, who made some bold comments about the future of these phones. So what did Mr. Tay Moon have to say about the event? Well, obviously, uh, you know, they're very pleased with how well these uh, these phones have done. They're on their fourth generation uh, now, and uh, they um, have, I think, 62% of the market share in folding screen phones out there. There's not really a lot of competition. There's some Chinese manufacturers like Xiaomi and Huawei, but Samsung is dominating. Uh, you know, so, you know, they've been having a few challenges uh, in the flagship phone market. Uh, Apple's kind of slowly eating away uh, market share in uh, that uh, space. So this is kind of a, a welcome, uh, you know, good news that these, these uh, folding screen phones are doing well. Mike, I know it's only been about a week since we saw these phones released. I'm curious, has there been any reaction from folks who've maybe gotten their hands on them for some uh, demo material? Yeah, we've had a chance to actually uh, put them through uh, their paces at our studio. I, they're fantastic. I mean, they haven't really done any revolutionary changes to them, you know, since the first uh, three, uh, you know, kind of just like little iterative changes. You know, they're obviously trying to make them more durable, stronger. The screen is 40, 45% more durable. Uh, but, you know, other than that, uh, not significant changes. Uh, you know, the, uh, the bigger uh, tablet one has a, a bit of a better camera in it, but uh, that's kind of about it. A little bit smaller, uh, but... It's interesting, you know, the uh, the chairman, uh, you know, basically is uh, predicting by 2025 uh, that, uh, you know, these folding screen phones will, uh, you know, be more than 50% of their flagship uh, phone sales wow. for Samsung. Wow. So that's pretty significant. That That's a bold prediction. Do you think the market interest and the market desire for that is there? Great question. I mean, I love both of them. I, I think they're, you know, Great feats of uh, engineering. Uh, they're sleek and beautiful. Uh, you know, I do love the smaller one, the Flip Phone um, or the Flip Z, and uh, it, it just fits so nicely in the pocket when it folds out. It's got a beautiful screen. The cameras uh, are nice. Um, they've done well with them. I think they'll continue to do well. The biggest uh, obstacle, uh, you know, just pricing. Uh, and I think they've done a good job with the smaller one. It's uh, around twelve hundred and fifty dollars Canadian, which is a lot, but when you're looking at, you know, the higher end, you know, iPhones and like the Samsung Galaxy S22s, the price is right in there. So yeah. price isn't a barrier on that one. The larger one is still pricey. It's over $2,000. So it's kind of more aimed at, uh, you know, people that want that tablet uh, in, in their pocket. But, um, you know, I think they're kind of on the right road. I don't know if Apple ever will release a folding screen phone. Maybe they think they don't have to at this point, but, um, 
you know, this is kind of a, a product differentiator for Samsung. One last question here. You said you put them to the paces and I apologize if I missed you mention it. How would you rate the durability or the feel of sturdiness of the phone? Because that was one of the concerns in the early iterations of these phones. I mean, they're solid. That hinge is solid. The screen seems solid as well, surprisingly uh, solid. Um, you know, the only thing that we, we see potential issues with, uh, you know, we actually had one of our friends, the purchased, uh, uh, you know, the larger one, the fold, and he basically said, sand is not its friend. Don't Ooh, go to the beach. Okay, okay. <laughs> Yeah. Don't go to the beach generally. That's where the sharks are. Uh, Mike, That's let's true. jump into one more topic here and stop me if you've heard this one before. Large company plans to start a new streaming service. This time it's Disney. Of course, they already have Disney Plus, but now they want to launch an ad-supported streaming service in the U.S. in December. So what do we know about this ad-supported streaming service? Disney is on a tear right now. They are killing it. Uh, I think uh, recent uh, results, they're now over 250 million subscribers worldwide uh, between their different streaming services. So that's uh, Disney Plus, Hulu, and they also have ESPN. Uh, But they realize that some people don't want to pay as much, and that's why they're going to release this uh, ad-supported network for uh, a cheaper price. So uh, they are past Netflix now when they combine their three properties uh, together. Uh, So, you know, they're on uh, the right track. There's a little bit of uh, finagling with the numbers there, though, because a lot of people have the package of the three yes. the three things, the Hulu, the ESPN, and the Disney together. So to count that as three different subscriptions, that's uh, a little bit like playing with the numbers, fudging with the numbers. But I'm, but I'm willing to accept the point because the content inside Disney Plus is like incredible, incredible stuff. Just the vast library of studios that they have. And the fact is any parent of a kid under 12 is probably pretty happy to have the Disney Plus to put on. Any notion of what the pricing is going to look like on the ad-supported side? I know we're still kind of waiting on what Netflix wants to do on that front. We know it already exists for companies like Peacock. The fact is Amazon Prime already has pre-roll ads inside their streaming service. And any sense of what the price point is going to be here for the ad-supported streaming? Well, they're being a little uh, uh, tricky with it. Uh, Well, not even cagey. They're raising the price of their, um, you know, the the their Disney streaming service up by a couple <laughs> bucks uh, U.S. So I think what they're going to do is they're raising the price of the existing service, and if you want the ad-supported service, it'll be the same price as it is now. Oh, essentially. oh, so I think like seven ninety-nine U.S. Sneaky, sneaky, it is kind of it is kind of sneaky. There is no question uh, on on that, but. Um, I, I think it will help them increase their subscriber base. You know, they're like on an upward tick right now. Netflix, uh, you know, they're kind of plateauing. We'll have to see how that all affects them in the next year or so. Yeah, yeah. M- market share is an in- interesting concept, right? Because Netflix was this industry leader for so, so long that at a certain point, how much more growth can you get once you have subscribers in the billions which they, I think they said in one of the reports, it's like 1.1 billion households in the world had access to Netflix. Like that is a, a stunning number. At a certain point, you, you just can't grow any further. Yeah, it's, it's interesting, right? You know, that's why they're looking, uh, you know, they've got, I think, 220 million subscribers. But when you factor in, uh, you know, the people sharing accounts and, and things like that, uh, you know, I think that's where they're trying to find their next bit of growth because they're going to try to crack down on the sharing of accounts yeah. by charging their uh, 
subscribers, uh, you know, a little bit extra for that to, to happen. So, uh, you know, they're trialing that down in a few South American countries uh, right now. And, you know, you'll see that coming up into Canada yeah. and the U.S. Yeah. next year. I, I know my Netflix currently runs at about $20 a month, give or take, which I find is uh, quite pricey. And I will say, if, if they could probably drop to a number that looks a little closer to Disney, which would say, let's say, $7.99 for an ad-supported service, I would do it. My one condition, Mike, I only want pre-roll ads. Do not mess with my content in the middle. They'll mess with your content in the they middle. They will do the YouTube <laughs> and sure. mess with my content in the middle. But I know you know their price isn't going to go down. Yeah, their price isn't going to go down significantly. You know, the ad-supported network maybe it'll go for ten dollars. Um, the only thing that is sure is Disney's going to raise their prices as they get more content into their system. Yeah. And already they're bundling, uh, you know, their three services together. That price isn't going up. They're trying to get people to get the bundle, the three services, yeah. you know, the yeah. blue ESPN and Disney plus. Well, that ESPN plus, if you're a sports fan is quite useful because you never know when you want to watch Hawaii play a midnight game on a college football Saturday as you're chasing your 3 PM losses. But uh, before we go too deep into my Saturday habits, let's say goodbye to you, Mike, Mike, have a great day. See you later, alligator. That's Mike Agri in a wild crocodile. That's Mike Agarbo. He's the host of the App Show, which you can find Saturdays at 11 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. Coming up next, we bring in Becky Czar in Regina. She's going to tell you all about her next chapter as she's about to embark into the next podcast for Becky. Becky Czar, coming up after the break. This is now with Dave Brown on ami Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's bring in community reporter Becky Czar from Regina, Saskatchewan. Hello, Becky. Hey, Dave. How are you? I'm well, Becky. I have to say so many goodbyes this week, and it's really bumming me out. This is going to be the last time you join us for a little bit, at least in the capacity as a community reporter. But instead of saying goodbye, Becky, we want to focus on the positives. Tell us all about your next chapter and the new podcast you're about to embark on. Yeah, I've had such a blast with you guys doing the community reports, but like you said, there's exciting things to come right around the corner here. So um, I'm so pleased to officially announce that there's a new podcast coming out featuring me um, this September. The first release date is September 27th, and the podcast name is Raising Kindness with Becky Zarr. So check it out on your favorite podcast platform. And there's also going to be a video podcast option that's going to be airing on YouTube. So check that one out too. It's kind of wild because I'm used to sitting in a little booth in my sweatpants and a ponytail <laughs> and putting together the blind reality when I did that series. But now it's it's a little bit different. So I'm, I'm really excited to have this opportunity. Becky, let me give you a piece of advice. Even if you're on video, you can still wear the sweatpants. So long as they're only shooting you from the waist up, you can wear whatever you want to. I'm wearing cargo shorts right now, well, much, to, <laughs> much to the disdain of our boss, Andy Frank. Uh, Becky, tell me a bit more about this podcast because the blind reality was such a personal journey that you were sharing on that pod. What are you hoping to do with Raising Kindness? 
Yeah, this one is completely different. Um, when Andy and I were talking about the potential opportunity of doing a different podcast, I said, I wanted to do something completely different because exactly what you said, the blind reality was at times heavy, very personal and um, completely about me. And so I want to kind of flip it and see what else I can do that would be completely fun, light, uplifting um, and something different. And so we came up with raising kindness and what it basically is, is I love volunteering and helping out within our community. I've always done that in some capacity since I was a teenager um, back, I think in high school was our first opportunity that we had to quote unquote, had to go and volunteer as part of our, our, I think it was like Christian ethics class or whatever in high school. And so that was my first taste into volunteering. And I loved it so much. I kind of carried it throughout my life. And so I thought, why not do a little podcast about volunteering and maybe get those people who have just sort of pondered the concept or maybe even hasn't crossed their mind entirely or they wondered how could I as a person with, you know, say a visual impairment contribute and give back because so many times I know I'm used to getting help from others, right? Um, and it was so many times I've kind of thought over the years, well, how could I possibly give back at this point I'm in my life, right? I'm so reliant in so many ways on other people, but I'm there to flip it and to show that, you know, volunteering and giving back is most definitely something that we can do, um, regardless of what your challenge might be. And then I'm hauling my son in because everybody's got to know Bennett over the years and he's at a good age. Everybody really should have a 12 year old. They're super helpful. And so I want to teach him that, you know, giving back to his community is something that is fun, rewarding, and cool. And so to make it a little bit more cool, uh, we've invited one of his friends to join us for uh, each episode. So his friends oh, will kind of cycle through. Yeah, because kids want to be with kids, right? And it gives them a little bit more comfort. And they, you know, uh, spoiler alert, we've started filming this or putting it together and they've had a blast and I've had a blast and we're creating all these memories. And each time we walk away from a scenario, the kids look at me and they're like, that was awesome. I think that one was my favorite. <laughs> Becky, when I used to coach 12 year old kids, when they played hockey, I don't know if helpful was the word that I would use to describe them, but, uh, but definitely <laughs> a lot of fun to get to spend time with 12 year olds. No doubt. No doubt about that. Hey, Becky, one of the things that I've really admired about you for a long time is you're very naturally charismatic. You're very naturally talented, but you've also really grown as a broadcaster over these last couple of years, whether it be your appearances here, whether it be some work you've done with AMI Connect events in the community. You were part of one of those uh, double tap TV tapings, one of those town halls, and did a really, really excellent job. I'm just curious about how you're feeling about taking this next chapter on and how you feel about some of the memories you've had growing as a broadcaster over these last four or five years. Yeah, you know what, putting the email together to let Andy know that I'm thinking about pivoting directions, I really had spent a few months considering this option and looking back at all of the amazing opportunities that I've had with AMI and you just highlighted a few of them. And in the early days, I'm kind of intrigued. I want to go back and listen to some, you know, conversations that I had with Mike Ross in the early days and listen to how I sound it because I feel like I've come so far. I feel like I have just become okay with talking to whomever happens to be listening at that point in time, um, you know, from my kitchen uh, at home, from, you know, my little recording booth that I now have. And at first I was so nervous and, you know, I was 
very much scrutinized what I said and how I said it. And now I just kind of go with it. And don't get me wrong, there's always a little bit of nerves that goes behind it. I think that's a good thing. But I've just been so appreciative for so many opportunities that you guys have provided to me in so many different capacities that have allowed me as a person to grow and to feel so much more comfortable, comfortable and confident in the skin that I'm in today. Um, that honestly, that is beyond repayable to you guys. Um, the words thank you are clearly not big enough. Well, Becky, we are going to miss the heck out of you. I always enjoy it when you pop by for your segments. Hopefully you won't be a stranger, but we wish you all the best of luck here with this uh, new chapter in your life, with this new podcast, and uh, we'll be listening. Well, thank you so much to the whole AMI team. You're not getting rid of me entirely. And thanks so much for the listeners um, and all of the, you know, random reach out that people have sent to me over the years with a positive encouragement and saying, hey, we're listening. I really appreciate that. And yes, please, one last plug, please check out the new podcast, Raising Kindness. There is a trailer so you can join it and uh, subscribe right now so you don't miss out when the first episode drops on the 27th right of on. September. Right on. Hey, Becky, awesome. thank you for this. That's Becky Zarr, community reporter in Regina, Saskatchewan. Raising Kindness, as Becky said, on the 27th is uh, September coming your way. And uh, you can already find Raising Kindness by plugging that into your favorite podcasting platform. So check that out. We're going to miss Becky a bunch. We are not going to miss Ramya Amuthan in the next segment because she's going to be here. She's going to join us in just a couple of minutes right here on Now with Dave Brown. Welcome back. It's now with Dave Brown on AMI. Let's look to the future. This afternoon, Kelly and Company hits the airwaves at 2 p.m. Eastern time. Ramya Amuthan is the co-host of that show and joins us now for a preview. Hey, good morning, Ramya. Good morning, Dave. So, Ramya, what's coming up on the show today? Yes. On our show, we're talking about the White Ribbon Movement. So the members of this movement are commemorating the initiative's 30th anniversary. We're going to find out exactly what it is. There's some cool stuff that they're up to. And uh, Margaret Weldon, as she usually does, will keep us posted on In the Know. And Bella Strange, you might know her as the makeup artist from uh, AMI-TV's Fashion Disc. She's actually going to be joining us starting today for a monthly segment. Uh, she's a makeup artist catering to the LGBTQ plus disability and special effects community. And she's joining us today just as a get to know you but in general for accessible makeup application segments nice and yeah i'm really really looking forward to this one um also we're talking about the disability collective because they've announced their first in-person event which is a children's theater show titled what happened to you and we're going to learn more about this Ramya, sounds like a really good show coming down the pipeline. Always a good Wednesday show. I'm not going to be able to listen today live, though. Unfortunately, I'm going to the Blue Jays game. So I'll have to download the podcast after the show. You mean fortunately you're going to the Blue Jays game? Well, but I'm going to miss Kelly and company. <laughs> yeah, you know, but Ke- there's the podcast. <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> Although there's so many days where I get to listen to Kelly and company right in my office because I sit next to the audio control room and just you guys yeah. beam into my ears. And I get to hear the show during the commercials, which is just as much fun. It is just as much fun. The uh, commercials, some say, are um, just as good as the show. The commercial show <laughs> is often good. I would say that I've had also good shows with uh, Daniel Penamondo, Grace Scofield, and Sam Robinson uh, through this talkback button myself over the years. Oh, yeah. uh, Ramya, yeah. thank you for this. Have a great day. Thanks, Dave. Talk tomorrow. That's Ramya Amuthan, the co-host of Kelly and Company, coming your way 2 p.m. Eastern time on AMI-audio. Let's bring in Grace Scofield for the Entertainment Report. 
Grace, I don't know if we can full-blown call this the entertainment report. It's kind of like the journalism report today. Yeah, kind of more of a journalist aspect to it. The story broke a few days ago, but there's some new kind of analysis that have come out about it. But it's about Lisa LaFlemme leaving CTV or being removed from the CTV yeah. news network. Yeah. More in more accurate <laughs> well, terms. The way the way that executives at CTV put it, she was leaving. The way that Lisa LaFlemme put it, she was asked to leave. Yes, she was outed. She was like, nope. I um, suppose in objective <laughs> terms, like if you're asked to leave and you leave, you did indeed leave. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, she's known about this since June 29th. However, it was just released earlier this week. And a quick brief, if you haven't heard the story yet, even though it's been out for a few days, she was asked to leave her position as a CTV news anchor after 35 years Uh, She's 58 years old. I figured that they would let her retire as the lead news anchor on CTV, but that doesn't seem to be happening. So she's leaving. She wasn't given a formal goodbye as her past colleagues were. She was just, she let everybody know in a two-minute video on Twitter, which was a really graceful video, exactly what you'd expect from Lisa LaFlemme. It was amazing. Professional. It was very professional. Yes, absolutely. But some interesting analysis has come out, which is what I'm going to bring today. Yes, yes, please. Uh, Angela Misery from the Toronto Metropolitan University wrote that she was concerned for the longevity of LaFlemme's career when she decided to keep her hair gray instead of dyeing it. So this was kind of a, not conspiracy, just like a wondering of could that have led to this uh, was a woman showing her actual age on television. Despite the hair change, LaFlemme was named to the Order of Canada in 2019 and won a Canadian Screen Award for Best News Anchor this past year. So personally, I don't think that has anything to do with it. But they are trying to, and CTV said this in a statement, issue in a new age of journalism. So I don't know if that was a kind of speculation. It's more it's more speculation than yeah. anything. There was some reporting done by Canada Land on this uh, yesterday, the website that deals with Canadian media criticism and for whatever people like to say about Jesse Brown, the fact is his journalistic credentials are solid and the reporting they do is oftentimes extremely solid. There apparently was quite a riff going on with senior management and Laflamme over a couple of issues, uh, particularly some funding around coverage on the war on Ukraine. Apparently, several times, uh, Laflamme and the team had asked for more funding to do better coverage on the war in Ukraine and were turned down by upper management, according to this reporting from Canada Land. And apparently, there were also some interpersonal. Uh, strife between a couple of the senior managers and Lisa LaFlemme when it came to some of the editorial direction of her immediate team. So this is a matter of concern because typically senior management should not necessarily be making editorial decisions around newsrooms. So there's certainly some concerns around that as well. Sorry, I know I know you wanted to cov- cover one area of speculation, and I'm taking a different area of speculation on that. But I think it all I think it all kind of blends together to be a, to be a series of things. And absolutely to, to not be able to say goodbye. I think is particularly brutal. And unfortunately, that is something we're seeing more and more in the media landscape. Back in early 2021, there were a series of cuts at one of the major telco companies that may be related to that telco company that uh, just released Lisa LaFlamme as well. And the majority of the folks who were released were not given the opportunity to say goodbye on air. They were sent emails with about a minute or two left in their daily broadcasts, taken into a room with HR and told to get out of the building in 30 minutes. Yeah, I think that there's been a trend of this going on, which is really sad to see because as viewers, as um, content, just we eat it essentially, content consumers, mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. you get attached to media personalities. You get attached to the people you see on your television, listen to on your radio, people you see on your phone, you read. If you read their words, you're going to get attached to them. So to not give them a proper 
platform to say goodbye and to have it done in such a jarring way, the way that Lisa LaFlem does was it. It's a little bit kind of not heartbreaking, but it, there's there's a lot of like personal feelings kind of yeah. tied into it. It makes you wonder what some of those senior managers are afraid of. Right? Yes. Are they afraid of some kind of truth bomb being dropped on the air? The fact is the majority, the vast majority of pro- broadcast journalists are extremely professional and would never air dirty laundry like that. They simply want to say goodbye to their audience. Exactly. And that's exactly it. There's speculation going on about there were so many reasons why Lisa LaFlem was let go. And then there's also there was a video released by CTV where the first probably 15 to 30 seconds were about Lisa LaFlem's exit. And then the next 60 seconds were about her replacement. And so there still wasn't much of a say goodbye to Lisa LaFlem. And so everybody's wondering why this is. Now, um, there is some analysis from U of T where Jeffrey Dvorkin explained that while this decision makes the company look bad now, it will probably make them look better in the long term and in the future that they didn't wait until Lisa LaFlem was ready to leave to issue in this new age of journalism, that they just did it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Companies are certainly allowed to fire whoever they want to. Absolutely. Right? That, 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 that's part of the deal, right? Like, the, you're, you're a TV broadcast journalist. You, you know that the rope and the, and the rug may be pulled out from under you from time yeah. to time. Yeah. But there's, there's ways to do it that feel better. But definitely it's one of these things that, that time will pass. People will say they're disgruntled or they're upset about this. And five months later, they'll go back to watching the CTV Nightly News. Exactly. Like, it won't change. Yeah. Uh, Grace. Thanks for a little journalism talk, a little media analysis. I like that. Yep. Uh, we don't get to do that often on the show. So thank you for bringing that topic to us. That's Grace Scofield with the Entertainment Report slash Journalism Report. Let's bring in Nazreen Abdelmajid to find out what's trending. Nazreen, an iconic Canadian retailer coming back, sort of. Yeah, unbelievable. One of Canada's top trends is hashtag Club Z. So Z, if you if you know what Club Z means, you know you're you're a real Canadian because Hudson's Bay Company announced that Zellers is making a comeback in early 2023. So a lot of people are excited and ready for it. A decade after the discount chain um, shuttered most of its uh, locations, so. Uh, Club Z is trending and Zeddy is trending. That's their mascot. So Zeddy, they're trying to negotiate bringing Zeddy back as well to the store. Um, so the return of Zellers comes as soaring inflation drives consumers to discount retailers in search of lower prices. So I feel like it's perfect timing. Um, it comes as a surprise to me. But do you, do you still have your Club Z card? Because a I, lot of people on Twitter are no. saying they're just dusting off No, no, no. no. I, I never had a Club Z card. I used to spend some time at the Zellers in the basement of the Alexis Neon in Montreal on Atwater Street because it was right next to the movie theater that I used to hang out at quite a bit. So I'd hang out at the little Club Zellers uh, cafe for a quick hot dog or a drink or just wander the stores to kill some time. But uh, no, I never, had the cl- I never had the Club Z card. That was never necessarily uh, my vibe. It sh- it's important to note, like, they're only sort of bringing it back they're bringing it back as an online retailer and in a couple of hudson bay's locations around the country they're going to have like little zellers corners of the store so it's not like Mm -hmm. they're reopening the full-blown zellers stores but they're using they're utilizing the brand and the nostalgia and one person that it's worked on is grace scofield grace give us your zellers thoughts i am so excited like i was (laughs) jumping for joy this morning even my boyfriend sent me the city news 
link and he was like, look at what they've done for you. And I'm like, I know. It's kind of amazing. I love Zeller. So much nostalgia. It's going to be amazing. That little like restaurant in the back corner of the store all the time. Just go get some French fries. Awesome. I'm very excited. <laughs> well, you know, Costco has that hot dog model, which obviously yeah. they stole from Zeller's, right? <laughs> Absolutely. Like, that was clearly the Zeller's game right there. Uh, yeah. Well, Zeller's coming back. Club Club Z. That's that that that's exciting. But uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's going to bring me into an HBC anytime soon. I, I find that anytime I walk into a Hudson Space store, I am completely and immediately overwhelmed and need to leave. It, it, the, the way they lay it out sort of by brand makes it impossible to find what I'm looking for. It's too much. I go to Hudson's Bay for like one thing and it's like formal wear only. Like if I've got like a wedding to go to, that's the only reason that I will be in Hudson's Bay. But now that there's a Zellers, I don't know. They're going to bring Grace (laughs) right in. Grace is going to move closer to her local HBC to be closer to the Zellers for easy access to the Zellers Cafe. Hey, Grace, Nazreen, thank you both for this. We really appreciate it. That's all the time we have for the show today. Day. We'll be back again tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Eastern time right here on the mighty airwaves of AMI-audio and AMI-tv. Thank you for making time to be with us today. Until we hang out again tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Eastern time, I'm Dave Brown reminding you to play safe, play fair, but don't forget to have some fun. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.